Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. It's this delicate balance of being connected, but not overly, you know, asking for too much. And also the balance of giving. And I know anyone who's helped me, like I'm so grateful for the help that I got because I know I wouldn't be where I am without that help. This is the Business Leadership Podcast and I am Edwin Frondozo. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode number 64 and my guest is Jamie Michaels, the head of brand strategy at Twitter Canada. He is an award-winning marketer specializing in brand strategy, digital marketing, and social media. Prior to joining Twitter, Jamie was the director of brand integration for Rogers Sportsnet and NHL Properties, director of marketing at CBC, and he began his marketing and sales career at Viacom International and went on to lead corporate marketing for Toronto's 2008 Olympic bid. In our conversation, we discuss key milestones and the difficult decisions he had to make that allowed him to grow as a business leader, why he believes Twitter works well as a global organization, and the importance of having a creative mindset. Our sponsors today are Nudge.ai, the leading platform for sales leaders to know which deals might slip this quarter. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Thank you to those who have left me comments and rated me on iTunes. This latest one is from SM Rach. They write, Excellent for professional development. I've learned a lot from the excellent guests featured on this podcast. Thank you so much, SM Rach. When you rate and leave a review, I will read it out on the next episode. Now, here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Jamie, first off, thank you for inviting me into this amazing Twitter Canada office. I'm really excited to be here. Someone who has been doing many Twitter chats in the past. So why don't we actually just get started with you, Jamie. If you could just tell the listeners something about who you are, what you'd like to do when you're not growing or, or leading businesses. Yeah, well... Again, thanks very much for having me. Uh, when I think about my life outside of the business world, I think my Twitter bio probably says it all. The, I think the first thing in there is that I'm a family person. So I literally this morning was at a breakfast for my dad's 80th birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a big one. And family's been sort of a cornerstone for me as I, from a kid to being a business leader. It's something that is top of my list. I have two young boys and an awesome wife. So that's kind of what I, I'm all about is focusing on them. I have a lot of passions as well. One of them being tech, which is great because I get to work in an industry that I'm actually passionate about as a lifelong tech nerd. <laughs> I love music. It's kind of my, my personal passion. I play guitar. I play in a band somewhat. And I am a huge Grateful Dead fan, so I'm a deadhead. And I'm also a sneakerhead. So I sort of cover like both spectrums of 
the the classic rock and the modern sneakerhead culture, which those two worlds actually kind of meet, believe it or not. Jamie, why don't we start off about telling us about your work? I'm pretty sure everyone knows who Twitter is, but maybe the listeners out there who who haven't even taken the dive to tell tell us a little bit about Twitter and your current role within Twitter and perhaps what you're looking to accomplish over the next 12 months. Yeah, that it's a great question. So Twitter, you know, from a brand recognition perspective, to your point, everyone knows what Twitter is. It's well over 90% brand awareness in the world. But of course, not everyone is actually tweeting. So you might come across tweets on television or in other platforms. So what, to me, what Twitter is all about, and it's actually become our marketing positioning, it's what's happening. Twitter is what's happening in the world and what people are talking about. And we've really sort of rallied around that that positioning. And what that practically means is it's the platform that I believe moves the fastest, is quite informative, and can really get you caught up on the world in a matter of seconds. I think it's also a really cool place where you learn things that you wouldn't necessarily learn elsewhere. It's a very open platform. It's got what we call a lot of discovery possibilities happening because again, it's not really just people you know, it's a lot of people you don't know or wish you knew. Um, So my role within that, if Twitter's all about what's happening, it's my job to work with Twitter's largest advertisers to make them be what's happening. And that that would mean finding ways to get them to engage with our users in a, both a creative and perhaps innovative technology way. So what are you seeing? I mean, it's really interesting for me. And like I mentioned earlier, and people who know me, I was hosting a very popular Twitter chat called Startup Chats. I did it for four years. I hit billions of impressions. What are you seeing the trend now in terms of these advertisers and what's innovative and why are they gravitating to the Twitter platform outside of them being what's what's happening? Yeah, I think the few things. So on the product side, the shift to video has been massive. So even a couple years ago, like Twitter didn't have native video. So you saw brands tweeting with, you know, other links, and it's just not a great user experience. So the advent of native video on Twitter has really changed the game in terms of how marketers are communicating with with users on the platform. And I think just the other advancements in ad products and technology have made it a much more seamless and effective experience um, so that you know there's a lot of research that would support this when you're scrolling through your Twitter timeline that the ads are quite native um, and it really feels organic and our users respond well to them just as they do content looking back at your career Jamie you primarily worked within media organizations. I mean, I think Viacom, CBC Rogers, and obviously now new media, Twitter. So I'm really curious to know, or if you could share some key milestones, or ideally something difficult, some difficult decisions that you had to make that eventually allowed you to grow as the business leader you are today. Yeah, thank you. And it's a great question. It makes me kind of smile a little bit because I I will admit that I'm one of those people that you know didn't go to school with a certain plan. Like a lot of my friends and people I knew, you know, they knew they wanted to be a lawyer or whatever it is. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So 
um, going to school, I I took a communications class at York University by total fluke. You know, it was an elective, and I was like, oh, it sounds interesting. And I read the Marshall McLuhan book, and Medium is the Message. And that kind of was the big epiphany for me. I read this book, and I was like, so wait a minute. Like, the platform itself can play a role in communications and it's watching television with your family is a different experience than being in a car alone listening and that whole thing fascinated me and it didn't really occur to me at the time that that's actually a business and I think now there are many university programs that center around media and technology but at the time I certainly wasn't aware of any but that book really resonated with me and it set me on a path of trying to figure out how I could get in this game of like communicating with people um, I think it was Viacom that was sort of my first true media job where I figured out, okay, I could probably make somewhat of a career out of this. It, it was really, for me, the, the learning was the partnership element. So we were a very small satellite office. You can't do much with two or three people. So it's all about, uh, in that case, I was doing licensing. It's all about partnering with the likes of Walmart and other retailers to build out these intellectual property programs. And I saw like, okay, now, so I really like this whole communication thing. I like like the partnership element. And I, I was doing pretty well at a fairly young age there, but I saw like three people, I don't wanna move to the US. Uh, and I got a call from my friend Stuart, who was working at the Toronto Olympic bid. And I, I barely knew the Toronto was bidding for the Olympics because it's so many years in advance. He's like, how would you like to come over and work for John Bitov? Um, and which year were they bidding for? So they, it was 2008, okay. but this was in the year like 1999. Late 90s, yeah. 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 And I was like you know what, like, I don't take risks like that. <laughs> but it sounds like a really cool opportunity, you know, going from a big global company, Viacom to like, basically a startup political campaign sure, sure, yeah. was awesome. Uh, and that was probably the big first risk that I took. And um, I guess one of the cool things out of that was, I was one of the people that helped build our website. So in 2000, we were one of the first um, companies, I guess, to use flash. Wow. And we had this crazy countdown clock on the homepage that was like counting down to the bid days. And it was like so innovative at the time. That's really where I got like the digital bug. I worked on a whole bunch of out of home campaign and merchandising, but it was the website thing that was so fascinating to me because of like the speed and the data and like how creative you can get with it. Oh, I mean, that's um, thinking about it now. I mean, it sounds so basic to do and so trivial in terms of a launch or, or whatnot, but uh, you were responsible for those digital platforms at the time for that bid? Yeah, and I, and I would say that, I mean, we obviously had a team um, around us, but it wasn't so formal. So it was sort of like we knew we needed a website and it, it, again, it's a flat structure, it's a political campaign. So it's like, that's just something I gravitated towards and I worked with like our agency on developing that and I just, I loved it. The interesting thing is about a year or so later, we went to .com and I was thinking, you know, this, this website thing, like, could this be a career? And then it kind of like dissipated. Yes. Yeah. We, Toronto didn't win the bid, um, but the kind of nice thing, and maybe this is where the narrative starts to begin about building your kind of network out and how one thing kind of leads to another. After the bid uh, was over, um, 
a, a lot of the people on our bid team were connected to the folks at CBC because they would be a broadcaster of the games should we win the rights. So CBC was actually looking for a marketing manager for the Olympic Games and you know working with sponsors and building out custom programs. So it was kind of a job. I had just spent two years learning everything about the Olympic Games and sponsors. So it was one of those situations where it was like, okay, this is actually now there's a bit of a path here. And at CBC, uh, I focused on Olympics for a while, but as Dot Gone was sort of kind of erasing and coming back, there was a discussion at the CBC marketing leadership team about who would own digital. And it was like those old TV commercials, like, give it to Mikey. He likes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like sort of the tech nerd at the time. It's like, <laughs> give Jamie digital. And I remember there was like no fight over it. It was like, you, you know, go figure it out. And I like... Other than building one website, which I did with an agency, like I had really had no experience, especially in the monetization aspect, which was my goal. So I was responsible for um, building out the Torino Olympic Games website and the monetization of it with obviously, you know, the team that builds it. But that was a really cool learning experience. And of all the advertising I was involved with from television and, and radio, I found the digital was like, okay, again, going back to like speed, measurability, we were building banner ads for sponsors like in-house in like an hour. And, you know, I'm used to like TV ads. And launching which, it, right? Yeah. yeah. And then making changes and like, there's actually like targeting and I can tell you within a second of how many people clicked on it and what did they do. I just found that like super fascinating. And that's where I went kind of like one level deeper in terms of finding my passion and something I knew I wanted to hold on to, even though at the time it wasn't popular. Everyone wanted to work on Hockey Night in Canada, all the big kind of TV broadcast shows. And that was great too, but I was more interested in like the nerdy web side of things. Wanted to get your insight. I mean, you're a leader amongst a large global organization like Twitter. And it's always interesting to me how organizations, especially one that is distributed around the world, and maybe your team is local here or around the world, but where are the ideas coming from, maybe specifically within you and your organization, or, or even within Twitter now? Yeah. So it's a great question. And honestly, I, I was at Rogers prior to this. I've worked for a lot of Canadian companies, and I, I really enjoyed that. The, the thing I was concerned about going to a big global company was, would Toronto or Canada just be a small satellite office with no power and you know completely forgotten? And I have to say it's the complete opposite. I think we really work well as a global organization. And from a creative perspective or, or like an idea perspective, it can truly come from anywhere in the world. And I think we do a great job of sharing. So... If you're working in the advertising business, you're probably working on a global brand. You know, we all know the Coca-Colas and General Motors. They're in every market around the world. Mm -hmm. Every big market has a Twitter office. So when programs are, are developed and executed and we have learnings, they're always shared globally. So a lot of times it's like I've just learned that something worked really well in Singapore or Brazil. And I think there's a way to port it over to the Canadian market with changes and we'll have a French language element. But we have no shame. It's actually like a pride thing of like, if we can scale something from another market that was successful, it's a huge win. At the same time, 
we're, we're competitive. And I think as Canadians, we always like to punch above our weight. So we do like to innovate domestically here. And that's really where I think we have the power of a smaller office where I work like hand in hand with like research, consumer marketing, comms, the sales team. And we literally will get together in a room much like the one we're in now and have a brainstorm and I'll bring in anyone. It's a very democratic process that we have. An idea can literally come from anywhere. And I think that's the one cool thing about our culture is that it is very open and collaborative. And I don't think anyone has like the type of ego where it's like needs to be my idea. It's very much about what can we do together. Are you enjoying this conversation? If you like what you're hearing on this episode, please sign up to our monthly newsletter where we share our latest interviews, events, and upcoming guests. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash newsletter. Now let's get back to it. How, how are you personally enc- encouraging that creative thinking within yeah. the organization? Yeah, I mean, so in our team, the brand strategy team globally, I would say that creativity is probably top of the list. If you had like one skill that you needed to be good at, it would be creativity. The way in which we we foster it, I think, is, well, A, having the right people at the table that have this kind of creative mindset, but also uh, ensuring that we are like brainstorming and that there are best practices for brainstorming that we always bring in. So things like we always start with an insight and we end with an idea. Sometimes it's the other way around. And sometimes there's a really cool idea. We'll kind of reverse engineer and be like, what's the data to support this idea? But most of the time, it's really about bringing in the right people, having a great sort of data mindset growing into it. Like, you know that the facts are, are these and building around it. And again, I think the diverse perspectives is really important when, when you're bringing in um, when you're having a creative brainstorm. Jamie, leaders and business leaders, they're always continually learning and, and growing, whether they're taking personal development courses or, or, or reading or even having mentors. So what are you personally doing to continue to develop and grow as a leader? Yeah, it's something that, again, didn't necessarily come natural to me, but I've really been pushing myself to get out, get much more involved in both personal development and industry development. So a great example of that is I was fortunate enough to uh, get nominated to do something Twitter had set up at the Wharton School. So it's a leadership program that I did, uh, I guess it's last year now, where you spend a week at the Wharton campus and basically figure out, it's all aligned around Twitter's sort of core leadership skills. And it's a full immersive week of learning, you know, finance, operations, project management. It was fascinating to go back to school after all this time, especially at an Ivy League school like that. It was really a cool privilege. But I think, so that's sort of like the learning side of it. But what's been really valuable to me is um, I do a lot of guest lecturing at universities and colleges. I pretty much never say no because I, I picture myself there and if I could hear about someone that's in an interesting job, I think it helps people that, like me, that didn't quite have the direction. I, I need to sort of see it. It's like, oh, there's actually a job at Twitter where like a guy works or a girl works on 
you know, this type of thing, it gets would get me excited. So I do a lot of that. I also try and get involved with um, not-for-profit organizations when I can. I've done a lot of work with the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs, which is a Vancouver-based uh, organization that's done some stuff in, in Toronto as well. So I, I, I'm doing my best to kind of get out there and give back, but also learn. Jamie, can you name a person who had a tremendous impact on you as, as, as a business leader, maybe someone who mentored you or, or, or when you were growing, and why and how did this person make that impact on you? Yeah, I wish that I had a single person like that in my life. I know a lot of people that do, and I'm super envious. <laughs> For me, it's more what I've learned is, is this notion, and I didn't come up with it, but I've heard it, of having a board of directors. And this thing kind of evolves with your career. I found this to be super valuable. So versus like I have weekly chats with my mentor, I kind of have a bunch of people that I turn to that I've grown with me um, throughout my career. Definitely both my parents, they're both entrepreneurs. They're in the retail industry. So I learned a lot from them about engaging with their customers. They both had retail stores. And even with a lot of success, my dad had a number of stores across the country. He always was in the stores with customers. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about with technologies, like you kind of have to know how things work. And I think I've really taken that with me as I, I do my best to, when I'm in business, to understand what it is I'm selling or marketing so that I can speak to it with truth and, and an understanding that I know what I'm talking about. Um, but I've also got a great group of friends, like none of them are necessarily in the tech space, but an amazing sounding board for advice, career guidance, that sort of thing. And there's been a few people that I'd probably call out throughout my career. Um, Scott Moore, who I worked with, um, he ran sports and the sales team at CBC. He now runs the entire Sportsnet uh, team at Rogers, I work for him as well. He, he's a really inspirational kind of guy. And Kirsten Stewart, who I know you've had on this podcast before, she has also been, I've worked under her leadership both at CBC and Twitter, and she was really great at to talk to in terms of pivoting from a legacy media company like CBC to, to more of a startup. When I joined, it was Twitter was only a year since IPO, so fairly startup-y. Um, she was great at coaching me along the way and, and helping me make the right decision to come here. What's really fascinating, and I he I've heard it a number of times on the podcast, is having that, that board of directors. Can you share some best practices in terms of the folks that you consider on your board? How do you engage with them? I mean, some of them may not be friends. They may be, they yeah. may be other professionals, right, that, yeah. that you've met somewhere. It's a very delicate balance. So obviously, family and friends are the ones you bug the most. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, people like Kirsten or Scott or other sort of, you know, we're talking about C-level executives. It's not like you're going to be texting them with, you know, all the time with small things. So I think it's about um, it's this delicate balance of being connected, but not overly, you know, asking for too much. And also the balance of giving. And I know anyone who's helped me, like I am the first person, like I'm so grateful for the help that I got because I know I wouldn't be where I am without that help. I, like if you need me to do anything, I'm, I'm going to definitely give back. But I do, I do think it's important to reach out 
a couple times a year um, without an ask. And it's just a check-in to, to see how things are going. I do that um, with a lot of people in my network. And I think it creates a sort of a genuine uh, relationship where when I'm reaching out, I'm not always just asking for something. It's just, hey, how's it going? Or you got a promotion, I'm so happy, or you had a baby, or whatever it is. I think that's like important as well. Jamie, fun question. But if I were to ask anyone, any one of your team, present, past, colleagues, peers, what's the best leadership quality that Jamie possess? What do you think they would say? Yeah, it, w- it would be actually interesting to <laughs> to aggregate all the the data from my my career. I I think probably my ability to remain calm in most situations. I've, I've been told I'm I'm pretty even keel, and it's I'm the type of person where there could be a fire in the kitchen behind me, and you would have no idea. So I think that can generally be a, a strength. I don't tend to overreact, and I, I have a pretty good spidey sense too. So this whole notion of always building partnerships throughout my career, I think has paid off, and I, I'm able to remain calm because I can kind of see where things could go, and I, I really try and understand where the other side's coming from. So, I think that's probably what most folks would say. What are what are a few resources that you would recommend to someone who's looking? to gain insight into becoming a better a better business leader. Yeah, I think it's probably a the people around you going back to that board of directors and don't just think about people in your industry. I mentioned earlier like most of my friends are in law <laughs> and you know I'm in technology, but I mean they're super helpful because they're completely objective and they provide so I think that's super important is don't ignore um, the people you have around you. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say Twitter is an awesome place to to learn. Twitter has always been the place where all kind of like the cool tech kids were hanging out. And I think it's still an awesome place to pretty much every tech leader and startup founder is on the platform and perhaps not on all the other platforms. So you can pretty much get a sense of what's on their mind. They often share like even Elon Musk like will share like learnings and thoughts. I find that fascinating. And then you can get really industry specific. So there's like Amber Mack in Canada, who's like definitely like an OG tech person, who's a great follow. And Tom Goodwin, I really like. He's um, based out of New York, I believe, from he's um, an innovation guy at, at Zenith. He's like a really like thought provoking innovation technology leader. So there's there's anyone kind of in everyone that you could want to follow and learn from is kind of right there. I just need to add this. I mean, for me in Twitter, when people ask me about Twitter, and I always tell them it's still the only platform that you could probably tweet to anyone. Yeah. And there's still a possibility that they'll they'll reply. You don't have to friend them. Yeah. You don't have to follow them. Yep. You don't have to do anything. It's it's wide open. Yeah. You, you could talk with anyone, and that's what's still authentic and unique to, within the Twitter Twitterverse, I guess. Well, something really cool, I'll throw it out. I mentioned the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. So um, one of the women that runs it, her daughter is an awesome singer. She's 12 years old, and she really wanted to sing with Pink okay. in Vancouver. And she started like a Twitter movement, it, it, hashtag Vic and Pink. And I just saw last night, it actually happened. And there's like a video on Twitter of the two of them singing at the Vancouver arena. It's like, 
that those kind of things, like I've had a few, like Keith Richards has retweeted me from the Rolling Stones. Like that was like, to me, we call that like the social autograph. I made it. I made it. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff, I, I think it, honestly it is for me largely a consumption platform of information. Sure. But to your point, like the ability to reach out to people with the possibility of getting some sort of engagement from somebody interesting or famous it's it's a real high. Uh, it's very exciting, and that, that's what I love about it. Jamie, so what else? Do you have any special projects, initiatives, or, or perhaps something really fun that you're looking towards or really excited about? Yeah, I think right now, so we're super focused on World Cup. So sports is a huge pillar for Twitter, given the real-time nature and the global aspect of something like FIFA. Um, that's a key priority for us in Canada and around the world. We're also doing an event in Toronto called New Fronts, which is in the TV business, we used to call it Upfronts, which is where most of the TV ad buying happens at one time. This is now happening in the digital world. So we'll be announcing a whole bunch of um, content partnerships where advertisers will have the opportunity to, to run some pre-roll and to partner with us in front of some really great premium content. And I guess on the personal side, I go back to being a deadhead. The new iteration of The Grateful Dead with John Mayer is called Dead & Company. They're touring this summer. So I usually go to three shows right now. I'm, I'm only going to one show. So I'm looking for some fellow deadheads to uh, join me somewhere in the U.S. at some point, hopefully. No, for sure. So if you are a deadhead listening today, make sure you reach out to Jamie or myself, and I'll definitely connect you. Before we end, Jamie, if you could... Get some final thoughts from you, observations. Ideally, what we like to share is some type of actionable recommendation to any of the emerging business leader who, who's listening today. Yeah, I think one of the pieces of advice I got early on in my career is that hope is not a strategy. And I, I definitely thought it was a strategy, um, perhaps very early on, but I, I learned maybe a little too late that you kind of need to make it happen. And this notion of, I mean, depending on your path, but the notion of like, you're going to graduate and get a call and someone's going to like scoop you up to a dream job. I mean, it happens, but it doesn't happen a lot. So you need to really start what we talked about earlier, I think is building out your board of directors. Um, and all it takes is like a couple people to get into the mix and then they know people. And I really, I see that is kind of how people progress is through your network, through your board of directors. Um, you also, you know, like I mentioned, give and take. You need to get involved in stuff. And I think now more than ever, it's much easier to get involved with all the digital world that we live in. So volunteer at an industry event, um, take part in some charity, and you'd be surprised at, you know, who the type of people that are on the volunteer boards. And it's a great way to get out there. Um, but I think if I were to say one last thing is just as you become successful and as your career sort of takes over your life and it can for a lot of us, I think the notion of being balanced is so important. Like you've got to work, you have to ask yourself, what are you working towards? And yes, you have your business goals and we're all driven to succeed, but making sure whether it's your family or your passions that you leave room for that as well. And I, I think at one point I lost that, but as I mentioned, I'll be on tour with the Grateful Dead this summer. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm making sure to do both 
And I think it makes me a better business person and a better human to kind of balance it out with family and, and, and personal life and work. I love it. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for joining me. But can you share, please tell us where we can find more information about you, obviously Twitter, and anything else that, that you'd love to share with the, uh, the listeners today. No, I mean, I think just kudos to you for, for doing something so innovative with your podcast. I'm a big fan. Um, I think that if, if you're listening to this, it means you're curious. And I'd say, like, keep doing it. You can definitely give me a follow on Twitter at Jamie Michaels. I'm on LinkedIn as well and all the other platforms. But mostly the interesting stuff would be on Twitter because uh, that's what I do. Uh, but no, that's it. Thank I wanted to thank you again for having me. This was really great. Well, it was awesome. It was a pleasure. So thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. That's it, biz leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast, episode 64 with Jamie Michaels. If you want to learn more about Jamie, Twitter, or anything that we discussed, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 064. Our sponsors today are Nudge.ai, the leading platform for sales leaders to know which deals might slip this quarter. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partners, IT World Canada. If you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to the podcast today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Business Leadership.